prior to silent prayer, God was up in the sky looking down at me, critical, judging, and I just wanted to make sure I was keeping God happy. So God Mm -hmm. changed for me. And God didn't do any changing. It's it's my understanding of God <laughs> changed. So yeah. God then became, yes, God was still above me, but God was within me. Um, God was walking with me every day. God was a constant presence. And God wasn't critical. God loved me. Welcome to Everything is Spiritual, a podcast from Soul Care Urban Retreat Center. We're talking with local folks, faith leaders, creatives, thinkers, and community advocates, getting personal about their faith and spirituality and how it shows up in their daily life and work. I'm Kelly Skinner, your host, and I'm sharing these heart-centered conversations to invite you to become more aware that everything is spiritual and to deeply connect with what is most true and alive in your own everyday life. Hello, guests. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast. I'm joined today by Rich Lewis, who is an author and a speaker and a coach who really focuses on centering prayer as a means of inner transformation. He teaches centering prayer in both his local and virtual communities, and he offers one-on-one coaching. He's written weekly meditations that he shares, book reviews, and interviews on his website, which is called Silence Teaches. And he's also the author of Sitting with God, A Journey to Your True Self Through Centering Prayer. So welcome to the podcast, Rich. Great. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So um, I always like to begin uh, getting a sense of people's stories around faith and spirituality and having them name that. So what religion or faith system did you experience growing up and how has that evolved for you over the years? Sure. And and it certainly has evolved. So my mother passed away when I was three and a half. So if she had not, I probably would have been raised a Roman Catholic, but um, because she was and, and, and her mother and and, and that the whole side of that family. But uh, my father, I guess, married into Catholicism. So he didn't push it on us. So I wasn't raised anything initially. Um, And then my dad, about a year and a half later, uh, remarried. Um, My father passed away a number of years ago, but he remarried and was happily married for quite a long time. Um, We didn't really go to church. I think the earliest church we went to, it was a Unitarian church, and I was in junior high school. So I remember going to a Unitarian church, and I remember my parents would go downstairs and and listen to whatever that talk was, and I would go upstairs with the kids. And it really wasn't any – I don't remember being a Bible-based type of talk. I I remember Mm -hmm. just being bored, and I remember the only thing I really liked was afterwards there was – donuts and, and drinks. So I look forward, I look forward <laughs> to that. So I remember doing the Unitarian Church uh, and it's still there. I've, I've driven by it. I think it was called Bucksmont Unitarian Church. So I, I remember going mm-hmm. to that for a while, a little while. And then I guess in high school, I think I was in 11th grade, some friends asked me to go to the local youth group that they went to. So it, was, it, went, they, it met on Thursday nights. I remember it was called His House and so I went, and I, I know it was backed by the, at that time, the Davisville Baptist Church was the name of the church. And, and so it was kind of backed by them and led by some of their young, uh, some of their pastors that, I guess, 
ministered to the youth. So I remember going mm-hmm. to that and I enjoyed it. So that's where that was kind of my first introduction to the Bible and, and reading the Bible and introduction to God and meeting and interacting with other people that believed in God or, or were certain or exploring God. So I, I guess I did that in 11th and 12th grade. Uh, didn't go to any church and I didn't join their church. I simply went to the to the youth group on Thursday nights and had a good time because they they had mm-hmm. fun, but they also preached to us and, and, and taught mm-hmm. us, I guess, from their perspective, which really was, I wouldn't say a Baptist probably can be very aggressive, moderate, or more liberal. Mm-hmm. I would say it was maybe a little bit above middle, <laughs> but, oh, but, gotcha. uh-huh. but if I, and I don't know a whole lot about Baptists, but so that, so I did that. And then, when then I went off to college and I really didn't, I kind of took a break from God, I guess I could say, and, and I didn't mm-hmm. do anything other than a lot of people do. I went to school and enjoyed University of Pittsburgh. When I graduated, I lived at home for a short period of time, but I had gotten a job, but I needed to get some money in the bank before I could move out. So at that time, my father and mother were going to the United Church of Christ, and they asked me to join them for at their church and just see if I liked it. So I went, and I enjoyed it. Um, so mm-hmm. I actually ended up joining that church. I'm not there now. I was there for about 20 years. Right now, I'm in between churches, but I actually went to the United Church of Christ um, for a good 20 20, 25 years, I believe. I got married in wow. the church. My wife was was um, part of that church too when we got married and really enjoyed them. And I really enjoyed the pastor. And a lot of times pastors don't stay at churches, but in this case, she stayed for 25 years. So I got to join with her and stay with her for quite a long time. So wow. I guess my background was Unitarian and then Baptist youth group, and then a, a mm-hmm. four or five year break and then United Church of Christ. And then I kind of moved into, and I know we'll start talking about it, well, into, I found Centering Prayer, and I discovered silence in, in like 2011, 2012. Wow. So how did you start engaging in Centering Prayer and contemplative prayer practice? I guess I had always been attracted to silence. I just didn't know what to do in it. And I mm-hmm. I had learned, I read books by a gentleman by the name of Carl McCullman, and he talked a lot about contemplative prayer and silence. I've since learned he practices centering prayer, but I don't remember him calling it out in his books. So I began just, this is probably in 2012-ish, I just would sit in silence because he had talked about how powerful it was. And at that time, it was brutally difficult, and I would force myself to do it for one or two or three minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. But then I came across, I was reading, simply looking on Amazon for a book to read in late 2013, and I came across Amos Smith's book, Healing the Divide, Recovering Christianity's Mystic Roots. And as I began reading the book, he talked about a practice called Centering Prayer, which was silent prayer, wordless prayer, sitting with God. And that really intrigued me. So I reached out to him on his website and began a back and forth email dialogue. And I also began trying it for myself and reading other books on centering prayer. So I guess I discovered a practice to do in the silence in, in really late 2013. And it seemed to resonate with me. So in, by, I guess, June 2014, I decided to I was called, called jump in the centering prayer swimming pool and practice twice a day for 20 minutes as much as possible on a daily basis. So that's kind of how I found silence through, I guess, Carl McCullman, and then a practice through Amos Smith's book. And then um, 
and off I went to do all kinds of things as a result of my practice. And Amos Smith and I, to this day, really have remained friends. He, he actually encouraged me to write this book and kind of was a nice mentor along the way as well. Hmm. So what do you think back then before you actually were able to name a practice or know about centering prayer, what do you think drew you to silence, um, especially having the upbringing that you did? Um, I guess I always liked walking. I always liked being outside. I liked being in nature. So I didn't mind solitude or even just small groups or just one-on-one. And then I think I I believed in God, but I thought maybe I, I was only tapping the, the, the surface and I wasn't diving into the depths of God. So I think I was just on the, on the surface of God and, and silence as I began exploring it and reading more about it, you could go further into the depths of God. So I think I was just looking to go deeper in God and deeper in my relationship with God and didn't know what that was until I began reading other books and learning of other people and, and how they did it. Hmm. And it's, it's interesting because I think one of the basic longings that people have when they start kind of looking into their hearts and into their experiences to have that deeper relationship with God, but they don't know how to get it. They have a longing for it, but don't know how to discover it. Right. Um, so, you know, you talked about when you started the practice of silence, it was a struggle for you um, even to be in silence for a couple minutes. Um, how has that practice evolved for you since you started, you know, 10 years ago almost? Um. Well, I guess when I was initially practicing silence, it was difficult because I didn't have a tool or practice. But once I had, so I guess I probably, before I did centering prayer, I was probably sitting in silence for six months, nine months and struggling with it. But then I guess when I discovered centering prayer, it made it easy. But maybe that's because I was struggling Mm -hmm. for six or nine months and I didn't have a practice. and I I didn't know how you sit in the silence and how can you make it easier and how can you open yourself up to God. So once I discovered centering prayer, I mean, I, I remember June, I don't know what was so magical about June 1, 2014. I just decided I'm going to sit for 20 minutes twice a day. And I, and I was able to do it and it wasn't difficult. So I think I was just ready for it. And I had found a practice that would help me sit in silence and, and open myself to God. Hmm. But I guess I struggled for six to nine months. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like I it was introduced to silence did centering prayer a week later and off I went twice a day for 20 minutes. It really, now that I look back, it really was, I I struggled. I didn't have a practice and and I struggled for six to nine months, but persisted. And then the practice was a nice tool that could open me to God and and it worked and resonated for me. Mm -hmm. So um, once you were able to kind of have a framework for a practice and you were able to open yourself up, what transformed in you? First of all, God changed for me. So prior to silent prayer, God was up in the sky looking down at me, critical, judging, and I just wanted to make sure I was keeping God happy. So God mm-hmm. changed for me. And God didn't do any changing. It's it's my understanding of God <laughs> changed. So yeah. God then became, yes, God was still above me, but God was within me. Um, God was walking with me every day. God was a constant presence. And God wasn't critical. God loved me and wanted me to come as I am and just be with God and pray verbally and pray silently. 
so God, I began discovering God was just a wonderful, loving presence that I needed in my life. And God wasn't critical of me and God was happy with me and wanted to help me and partner with me in life on a daily basis. So God definitely changed for me. Mm. And then the practice itself, you know, since I've been practicing, it has produced ton of fruits. And I won't say it's the practice, it's God. God has graced me with with fruits. And I think God graces each practitioner with, with fruits that God knows that they need. So if I think about me and how it has changed me really over the last, I guess it's like eight years or so, yeah, about eight years at this point, you know, I'm a much more confident person in myself. I'm more willing to get up out of my comfort zone, try and do new things which is really the, all the things I'm doing now, none of them are on the radar screen. Having a website was not on the radar screen. Writing a book mm. was not on the radar screen. You know, speaking on podcasts and guest speaking in front of small and large groups, um, coaching one-on-one, none of that was on the radar screen, but centering prayer kind of opened up a whole new world for me that I could share with small groups and large groups or even just one-on-one. So it's produced a ton of fruits, um, inner peace and mm-hmm. calm, excitement for life that I didn't have before, you know, how to be more present to life and, and the everyday things that go on and how to let go and hone in and focus on you know what's important and let go of what's not important, which we all needed to do, you know, pre, you know, as we were, walked into COVID, we needed to right. let go of what we can't control and focus on what we can and, and get through this time and we're still in it obviously but it's it's we're we're, i won't say we're on the tail end of it but we're on a different end of of covid with you know vaccinations and and boosters and and how it's impacted the world and impacted the workforce and and people working from home that can versus going into offices so it's just produced Mm -hmm. a ton of fruits for me um god has it's it's not the Mm -hmm. practice yeah, exactly. Uh, that's the tool to get there. Right. Um, and there's lots of different tools. Exactly. It's just one of them. But I love what you said about, uh, we, you know, we had a conversation briefly before we started. You know, there's many times that people say that they want all of those things that you talked about, peace of mind and confidence and a feeling of love, a feeling of uh, security in God, an opportunity to use their gifts. And I think that we kind of intellectualize those wants and desires. And it sounds like Centering Prayer was an avenue for you to partner with God in realizing those gifts that you have and actually live into all of those desires and things that that maybe you wanted in your life or we all say that we want in our life. So it sounded like a, a really good way to put those things into practice and not just wish for them. Exactly what you said. I think of it as I sit with God and then I get up and partner with God. So exactly the word you use, partner, I think of it as I'm sitting with God and then it's not, I'll see you again at my next sit. It's God gets up and we walk together and we partner on an everyday basis on on the things that I should be doing. Mm -hmm. And you probably have opened up an awareness, opening up your, your inner sense of seeing of God being everywhere. Right. And, and that's part of that is the practice because during the practice, and, and I guess we'll eventually get to what you do in centering prayer, but you let go. Yeah. So you, you let go of things and open up to the present moment and what it has to offer and what you should be doing in the present moments, 
whether it's action or whether it's just seeing things or listening and being present. Mm -hmm. But yes, it certainly does that. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what centering prayer is? You know, some people are familiar with meditation, but how is it different from meditation or mindfulness? Sure. I'll give a little history and then and what it is. So centering prayer really is considered, it is considered meditation, but it's also considered a relationship with God because during centering prayer, you're opening to the presence and actions of God within. So we, we think of it as a, a, a practice of, of meditation, but opening to God and building a relationship with God beyond words, thoughts, and, and images. And I'll explain how you do it as well. But it's been around for 50 years. It was actually created in the early 1970s by three Trappist monks. So three Catholic priests at that time saw other forms of meditation happening, such as uh, transcendental meditation. And they wanted something for the Christian community. And one of them, Father William Menager, was reading, I believe it's a 14th century, I hope I have the right year, book called <laughs> The Cloud of Unknowing. And as he read the book, kind of the method of centering prayer, a method of sitting in silence popped out of him. So they began practicing centering prayer. They began teaching it to other clergy. They began rolling it out to the public. And then in 1984, Thomas Keating, Father Thomas Keating, created the Contemplative Outreach Organization. They have a website. It's contemplativeoutreach.org. And it's really the main centering prayer organization. So if you go there, you'll see a ton of centering prayer resources. You'll find groups that practice all throughout the world. So not just in the U.S., but really internationally, you'll see it. And nowadays, you, I guess as long as you speak their language, you could probably practice with any group because a lot of them are doing it via Zoom, perhaps on a weekly or biweekly basis. So that's a little bit about the history. So it's been around for 50 years, and it, it is meditation, but it's also considered a relationship with God and opening to God within, within us. Mm-hmm. And then do you want me to just... I can share how you do the practice. It's- yeah, tell, tell me how what happens when you do centering prayer. Sure. So you sit comfortably with your eyes closed, and then to begin your sit, you introduce what we call a sacred word. So it's usually one or two syllables, and it could be God, Jesus, love, ocean. You interiorly say that word, and then as you're sitting there in silence, generally with your eyes closed – when you begin engaging your thoughts, and what I mean by that is when you begin thinking about what you did before your sit, or you begin thinking about the errands or things you need to do after your sit, you realize you're not sitting with God. You're sitting with your planning and your plotting and, and you're reminiscing. So then you reintroduce that sacred word interiorly, let go of all your planning and plotting, come back to the present moment and the purpose of your sit, of sitting with God and opening to the presence of God within, and then let go of the word, the sacred word as well. So you just do that when needed. So sometimes you naturally bring yourself back when you realize, oh, there I go again. Other times you use the word just to bring yourself back. And you do that when needed during the duration of the time you've chosen to sit, whether it's five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes. And then at the end of the period, you might sit there for a minute or two just to kind of get your bearings before you get up and either begin your day or resume your day, depending upon when when you're doing your silent sits. Mm Mm-hmm. And that just sounds like so much more of a gentle way of being and providing yourself with a whole lot more grace than forcing yourself to sit in silence or struggling with silence or, you know, judging yourself or scolding yourself because 
your mind should be quiet when you're sitting in silence. It sounds so much more gentle. It is. I mean, you're just showing up as you are to God. God doesn't judge us. God is thrilled that we've taken the time to sit with God. Your time to sit with God and come exactly as you are. Sometimes you might come very stressed, agitated, or with racing thoughts, and that's okay. God wants us to come exactly as we are to God. That's who we are. (laughs) Mm. One image that one of my past spiritual directors gave me, and it was always so useful when thinking about centering prayer, was that when you have somebody really special that you love in your life, whether it be a grandparent or a spouse or a friend who you've had for many, many years, sometimes you don't need to say anything and it's just comfortable just to sit there in each other's presence. And that's what centering prayer or contemplative prayer is. Agree. I mean, if you think about it, like my wife and I might sit together and have a cup of coffee or watch TV or take a walk. We're not always talking. Or you could sit on a porch with a friend and you're not always talking. So, and even my youngest son, who's 14, but since he was six, he would just say, can you sit with me? And it didn't mean he wanted me to talk. He just wanted to know I was there and I, and I was with him. So, And he still will ask me from time to time, do you want to sit with me? And it's funny because he'll say, well, where's your iPad? Because then I remember that, well, he, he doesn't necessarily need me to talk. He just wants to know I'm there. So mm-hmm. it, that happens in a lot, with a lot of friendships or you know, special people with you. You don't always need to talk. You just like being with that person or even a whole family sitting together in the family room. Maybe we're not all talking, but we're all there enjoying each other's company because we're just there and we're present to each other and and three or four or five people could be in the room, but maybe everybody's doing their own thing or we're all watching TV. But when you don't have that, you realize you miss it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we do need to talk, but but sometimes it's a, it's a communion beyond words with people. You just like to be with people and you miss it when you're not around people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People talk about being introverted or extroverted, and I know it's a lot about energy, but yeah, I mean, sometimes you don't need to talk, but you do need to have the energy of being with other people and being with God, connected with God intentionally. Right. Yeah. So you've written this book, came out in 2020. Is that right? Over the pandemic? Yes, it came out in August of 2020. So yes, uh-huh. in, in the pandemic and, and obviously well uh, well before vaccinations or anything. So you know, I guess what, six months into it or so? Yeah, probably was good timing actually because people needed to have, you know, had the free time to maybe start a practice. But the book is actually called Sitting with God. What inspired you to write that book? I guess a couple things, you know, one, I wanted to share what is centering prayer with people. And two, you know, I wanted to share my own story in it. So of how it has healed and transformed me. As you read the book, obviously, you'll you'll learn what the practice is and, and how to do it. But then you'll also hear from me in terms of how it has healed me and transformed me, how it has connected me to my true self throughout the book. And I wrote the book to be very easy to read book. If you look at it, you'll see it's 14 chapters. Within each chapter, you'll see a heading and then you kind of know exactly what to expect as you read under that heading for one page or two page before the next heading. And then at the end of this short chapter, you'll see questions for reflection and comment if you just want to kind of read them and then rethink about what you just read. So the book was meant to be very easy to read read it in chunks if you want, if you want to read it heading to heading and 
stop reading after you finished the heading. And it was just to allow you to reflect and allow you to see how the practice has healed and transformed me. So it's really, I think for everyday people, it wasn't, it's not an academic book. It's meant for everyday people that have never heard of this type of practice, but also people that have been practicing can see how I've deepened my practice and, and what I've done since I've been practicing. Hmm. So as a first time author, what was the experience of writing a book like for you? Now, that was a challenge. So Amos was the one that nudged me to write this book. As I mentioned earlier, you know, I discovered Centering Prayer in his book, began practicing Centering Prayer. We began a back and forth email dialogue. And then I remember in, I think it was around May, June of 2014, he just emailed me and said, because we had started working together and I was doing some stuff on his website at the time and I had a weekly meditation going off of his site. And he said, you need to write a book. I mean, my book was more academic and you need to write a book and share centering prayer for people to relate to you and how has it impacted you. So he told me just to take a couple weeks and write down single sentence statements of what I thought about centering prayer. Mm -hmm. So I, I did that shot him back an email, I remember a few weeks later with 13 or 14 single set statements. And his reaction was wonderful. Go write your book. Those are the chapters. Well, I, I, I thought he, I thought he was I'm like, yeah, really? So I thought he was crazy because at the time I had written nothing more than six or seven pages. So I decided, you know what? I, I think I'll pick one of them, write a chapter, email him. I know he's going to read it and, and then be like, this guy can't write. I don't even know why I suggested it to him. <laughs> but to my surprise, he said, you know, that was unique. I liked what you had to say. There's something there. You, you need to continue. So then I asked my wife, I said, what do you think of me writing a book? I don't even know how to do this. And I know it'll require some time. We always back each other in, in different things we want to do in our lives. And so she said, do it. So I decided, well, how, how do I do this without taking time away from the family? So I disciplined myself, very much like Centering Prayer, which is a practice where you discipline yourself to do it. I actually got up on Saturday mornings. This is all pre-COVID. I got up at about 5.30 in the morning, drove to the local Starbucks because Starbucks opens at 6. And I would write from 6 to 9, 6 to 10 on Saturday mornings at the local Starbucks. I would just put on a baseball cap, bring my laptop buy a cup of coffee and sit down and wrote. That's how the book got written. Wow. Um, it was just kind of mostly on Saturday mornings. I did it at other times too, but I didn't, I didn't want to take time away from the family and the family was definitely sleeping Saturday morning. And when mm -hmm. I came back, then they were just about getting up and moving around. But that's really how the book got written. And it, it became a fun experience for me. It were a really neat spiritual practice because I didn't often know exactly. I would jot down ideas that I wanted for each of the chapters, but I just let it flow. I would just trust God and let it flow out of me. There's two of the chapters had some research because one of them was on Jesus and the historical Jesus and what of the scholars say about the human Jesus that was on earth. So that I had to do some research and then from my research and my notes decide, all right, what do I want to put on paper that I've read that I think would be interesting? But the rest of the chapters really were more of a neat spiritual exercise that came out of me on Saturday mornings. Mm. That's how the book got written, really, over about a two- or three-year period. It got written at the local Starbucks Saturday mornings. Wow. And so did you find it difficult to tap into some of that, some of the stories, some of your putting into words, your take on some of these things? No, it kind of naturally flowed. And I think... 
I don't know why. I think I think it just it felt comfortable. It felt good because I guess when you write initially, you're just dumping. You're just dumping mm-hmm. the words down. The editing was is that's the hard part. But in the initial part, you're just dumping words down on paper. Editing then is that's that's a more difficult part where you have to kind of then take a look at what you've done and refine it and and, and or start moving it from in this to a different chapter perhaps. But initially, no, it, it was kind of a neat spiritual practice for me. So it, it didn't come hard. Writing takes a long time. So I could write for three or four hours and maybe three or four tight pages were there. That's just kind of how it works. Mm-hmm. But the words coming out, just, I guess I just let go, just like I do during Centering Prayer and just let go, didn't judge it and just let whatever needed to come out, come out and not worry about whether it'll be in the book because this is just getting it out getting the words out the editing part is where you fine-tune does that really belong in there and then even the editor they were pretty generous but a couple things they said this is too long we're going to remove it and and i had to trust their judgment Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so you talk a lot about true self and discovering your true self the subtitle of your book is called a journey to your true self through centering prayer how do you define the true self so your true self is the person God wants you to be, and that's what we do during centering prayer. We connect to our true self. If you think about centering prayer, you're letting go of thoughts and emotions, whatever many things we tell ourselves, whether we're not confident or afraid to try and do something new or think we're too old to do something or think we're too young and don't have the right experience to do something. You let go of all of that and connect to your true self, the person God wants you to be, which sometimes is scary and sometimes is out of your comfort zone. So the practice itself, the letting go you do in centering prayer, you take with you into your everyday life. What I continue to do with my practice is I'm a big believer in affirmations. And so I'll call them my true self affirmations. So mm-hmm. I'll write down single sentence statements of things I want to accomplish in my life, whether it's in my mental health, physical health, financial with my family, with my career, with, with my website, I'll write down what I want to do. Before I do my centering prayer sits, I read them to God and I let them go to God and I let them brew with God, so to speak, while I do my centering prayer sit. So I'm constantly giving them to God and saying, that's partner together on these or these things that I should be doing. Mm-hmm. And then for me, at least what seems to have worked and it, I haven't changed it in quite a while. My true, I'll call it my true self barometer is it stays as a true self affirmation. If it, you know, it excites me, there's an inner peace and calm about it. I don't get rid of it just because it scares me and it's out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, as long as it's not harming me or harming others. So if it meets all that criteria, then it sticks. And sometimes mm-hmm. they, maybe they get tweaked and refined and more focused. But as long as it hits the barometer and stays within the barometer confines, it mm-hmm. stays. And I think of it as I give them to God and I partner with God and I'm constantly giving them to God because it's not what do I want to do. It's what do you want me to do and what together should we do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really, I really appreciate that practice of bringing those true self intentions or affirmations to God as part of your sits or, or before your sits, because I think sometimes people struggle with whether that desire or longing or intention that I have is myself or from God. And I think that 
I firmly believe that actually God plants a lot of seeds that grow into your desires and longings. And I love your barometer too, as a litmus test on, you know, whether those truly are God planted and then working in partnership to nurture and grow those desires and live into those desires. So that's a really nice structure that you've created to do that. Yeah, it's it's continued to work. So until God nudges me to try something else or tweak it, I guess it's been I've been doing it for a number of years now. So mm-hmm. it's, it seems to have stuck for now. But yeah. if, if I should move it or change it, I will. But right now, I, I guess I'm not getting that intuition from mm-hmm. inner nudge to, to change it. Yeah, but it's a really great way to kind of explore and name those longings and desires that we have or that come up in us. And a lot of times those longings and desires may seem scary or unattainable, and there might be a lot of fear around it or unworthiness. So even naming those with God and sitting with them as part of your practice, I bet can be really, really powerful. It is, because a lot of times you just give things to God, whether is this something I should do? And give it to God and, and wait and maybe give it a day or if I have to give it a month until you have some clarity around something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then I guess if I don't have inner peace around it, then it's okay. That's not something I should do right now. It doesn't mean never. It just means not now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in your perspective, who do you think can benefit most from having a centering prayer practice? Well, I, I would say everyone. I mean, anyone can come to God and pray this way. So anyone, and, and I'll put it under, any, anyone can come to God in a contemplative practice. So centering prayer, and you mentioned earlier, you know, is, is one practice. There's a lot of different ways, contemplative practices, whether Christian meditation, which you're using more of a mantra over and over again, walking meditation, chanting, painting, photography. I think there's a number of different ways. So I would say anyone can use centering prayer or a contemplative practice and benefit from it, in all, all honesties. Mm-hmm. Have you encountered as you're working with people from different faith traditions that might have more of a practice of verbal worded prayers? So whether they're, you know, ritual prayers or rote prayers, like in the Catholic tradition, or spontaneous or word-based prayers in other traditions, have you experienced that there's a struggle a little bit to come at this from a silent prayer perspective or wordless prayer? Some people perhaps will think it's not biblical or it's new agey. And I'll kind of explain that it, it, it isn't because it's really, it is meditation, but it's really a relationship with God and you're coming as you are. So I like to tell people, anybody can practice centering prayer. You come as you are, wherever you are with God and what you believe whether they have a strong belief in God or whether they're not even sure, they can just come try the practice and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think if you identify as being a Christian, you know, there's a really rich tradition in the 2000 plus years of Christianity and many of our mystics in the early part of the church practice centering prayer or a form of this, which inspired the current practice. So I think it is both biblical and Christian. 
It is. And many people don't realize that, that it goes back, you know, goes back to Jesus. We surmise he wasn't always talking when he went off alone. We surmise he was just sitting quietly with God. And then it goes back even further into the Old Testament with, you know, be still and know I am God. So I guess it's the, the Western church maybe has not experienced as much of silent prayer, and they're beginning to, but the mm-hmm. Eastern church really has has always practiced silence. So then, as you mentioned, the mystics and that, you know, in the third and fourth and fifth centuries, the, the desert mothers and fathers, and then coming all the way forward to people like Thomas Merton, for example, Christianity has a rich tradition of, of silent meditation. People just don't realize it because it's probably more the Eastern church and not as much in the Western church. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people run into obstacles that get in the way of them having a regular spiritual practice, or you mentioned earlier, a spiritual discipline, you know, time, I don't have time to sit 20 minutes, the inability to sit still, kind of a fear or an avoidance of silence and what you might discover there, or just plain overwhelm. So what's your take on this? And how would you suggest people overcome some of these obstacles? I guess I would suggest, I mean, it, it is a discipline. So the first thing I would suggest is you make it the first thing you do when you begin your day, because otherwise you might just begin your day. You'll say to yourself, I'll do it, but then you just don't do it. So the first thing I'll say is make it the first thing you do as you begin your day. And then I'll also say, take baby steps. So just do it for one to five minutes. So when you get up, whatever day of the week it is, make it the first thing you do and do your silent practice, whether it's centering prayer or some other type of silent practice, do it for one to five minutes and try to stick to that for 30 days and see how you feel and see how it resonates with you. And then if it does, increase the time. So bump it to to five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe even 20 minutes. And then once you have that down, then I always tell people add a second sit at some point in the day and kind of look at your life and put it where it belongs, whether it's before lunch or before dinner or after dinner. And if you have to do the same baby steps of a few minutes and gradually getting it up to 20, because what I'll, and you have to experience it for yourself. So like you, for the first sit kind of prepares you for the day, connects you to God and is a nice reset and restart button. But then your interior reservoir runs dry and then you need a second sit people will say, well, I don't have time. I'm too busy at work. Well, it actually has a way of giving you back time. And, and I actually right now, we're, I were, I've been working from home for two years now. Work is very chaotic right now. I actually have added a third sit. I just shortened each of the sits, but I've added a third sit because I need more interior space to get me through the day. And it's a way of giving you back time. And I'm finding how productive I am, even though I took the time to take you know two sits instead of one sit, you know, after I've started my day, it has a way of giving you back time and mm-hmm. helping and helping you and reconnecting you to God, reconnecting you to life. Because if you think about it, the letting go I do in centering prayer comes with me outside of my practice. I let go of what I don't need to hone in and focus on and let go of the 30 tasks that don't have to happen today and hone in and focus on the two or three or four that I need to do today. It's just a wonderful practice that helps me get through the entire day. So one sit is great in the morning, but I get tired, I get drained, and I need to just stop and sit with God again and then start again. It's almost like then start again and then two or three hours later, take a break, sit with God, and then finish the the last two hours of the day. Mm, 
It's almost it like soul nourishing. Time. Like we it don't just you... have breakfast and then don't eat again. Right. <laughs> it's like eating breakfast, and then lunch, and then dinner. It's like you need more than one nourishment of God. Sometimes you need to sprinkle it out through the day. So you have to experience it for yourself. My days are so productive because I've done that and work with is much better, even though it's still busy and chaotic, I'm getting the work done and I'm getting it done because I've added 10 minutes sit before lunch. And then I've added another 10 minutes sit two to three hours later. It's helping me. If I didn't do that, I, I don't think I would be as productive. Mm. What would you say to people who, as they're starting, maybe they only want to do it once a week instead of daily? I would encourage them to try it on a daily basis. I mean, I mean, don't beat yourself up if you miss it, but I think you won't gain the benefits of, of the practice. You won't, and it's and again, I keep saying the practice, but it's God. You you won't get the inner nourishment from God, a, a weekly nourishment nourishment of God. You need a daily nourishment of God, if not multiple nourishments from God. Just like we need to eat, you know, a couple times throughout the day. You need God more than once a day. But I'm not mm-hmm. judging people either because it is a discipline and you have to make yourself do it. But I think if you do it, you're going to reap the benefits of it and you're going to be very happy and pleasantly surprised when you discipline yourself to do that. Mm-hmm. So do you have any resources that you can recommend for people who may want to start the practice of centering prayer? I guess the first two books – well, I guess the first thing I can say is on my on my website, I have a free ebook. So if they come to my website, silenceteaches.com, I have a free and very short ebook on centering prayer. It's, it's about – I don't know, I think it's like 10 or 12 pages, but it's very easy to read because it answers – the top of the page, it asks a question, and then it kind of answers it in kind of bullet form. So for those that would just want to learn what centering prayer is, they could come to my website, read the ebook in in a few minutes just to get a, a – flavor for for centering prayer mm-hmm. and then if they want to further explore you know the first two books i read on centering prayer as I, as i began my practice were open mind open heart by thomas keating centering prayer and inner o- awakening by cynthia bourgeau of course i they can check out my book <laughs> as yeah. well just to better understand the practice and hear how it has healed and transformed me mm-hmm. and we'll put links to your book, your ebook, and these two other books in the show notes so people can find them. Now you do one-on-one coaching and what kind of support do you provide through that experience? Sure. As, as I look back at kind of the different types of people that have come to me, they fall into one of three categories. It just seems it's default that way. And I know they always say you should have your, your niche and what are you doing? Well, Sometimes you just got to let go and let it, let it happen that what's going to happen. So people that are brand new and know they need an accountability partner, someone to help them because they're just not going to do it on themselves. They don't feel like I have the discipline to do it. So they want someone to hold them accountable. So I help people understand centering prayer and then hopefully create a sustainable long-term practice. Kind of the second group of people are people that are, are already practicing but feel that they're not they're still skimming the surface they want to go deeper so they they want to add a second sit they want to really discover who is their true self and are they connecting to this person and acting from it so that's kind of a second group of people and then a third group are priests and and pastors have come to me to say i'm taking terrible care of myself i'm taking care of everybody else but 
me and I know this is a practice that can help me and I need you to help me just start doing it because I'll better serve my community, my flock, my church community if I'm taking this time. Mm-hmm. So I, I've coached a few people, uh, a few priests and, and a few pastors that said I need help with self-care because I'm not taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. So if that's my coaching, is, which is neat, it has fallen into one of those three categories. So I know some people will tell me you should hone in on one or the other. And then there's part of me that says, I could, but then the other part of me is like, well, no, I don't think I need to, because those are three different groups that can benefit from what I, how I can help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's actually one of the reasons why I created Soul Care in our local community in East Central Illinois was to provide a place where people could learn about some of these resources, have a supportive community of people who are engaged in these kinds of practices, and then have space that's available and accessible for people to practice these kinds of things. We're a retreat center, but we call ourselves an urban day retreat center. And so one of the things that I have available to people are these quiet pods and people can come instead of going to Starbucks to work on a book or instead of going to a place sitting in your car or your bathroom or your closet to get some quiet time to pray, you can come into soul care and have some accessibility to quiet space that's conducive to these kinds of practices and uh it's really affordable great that's yeah. nice so is there other kinds of contemplative prayer practices that you engage in besides centering prayer yeah i do a couple others i, I do the jesus prayer and I, i'll even well, <laughs> I was just going to say I show you, but it's an audio. Well, I can show you, but the people won't see it. There's a I have a prayer rope, and mm-hmm. I'll pray Jesus. I'll shorten it, shorten it, and I'll say Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on, and I might pray for my wife, or I might pray for a situation or a friend, and I'll just move from not to not as I say that prayer. So that's kind mm-hmm. of a nice thing that I like to do from time to time. And sometimes if like I'm in the house alone, I'll just walk while I do that. So that's mm-hmm. one thing I do. I do do Lexio Divina from time to time. Where I might read, you know, a short paragraph and read it, and then as I read it, ask God, "What do you want me to get out of this?" And a word might jump out at me, and then after the word jumps out at me, then I might just pray about that word, and then just sit in the silence. So, Lectio Divina is is another practice. I love to walk, so walking is just a very nice contemplative practice. Whether I'm with my daughter or by myself, or even walking my dog, walking is, is just a neat practice. And journaling, I, I like to just journal thoughts. So I'm not like writing down huge stories, but I'm just jotting down thoughts or jotting down true, my true self affirmations. So, mm-hmm. kind of those four are some contemplative practices I've sort of gravitated toward. Mm-hmm. So, how can people connect with you? Tell us where they can find you on all the interwebs. And, you know, if people want to learn more about Centering Prayer or buy your book, how can people connect? The best place to find me is just my website, silenceteaches.com. When they come there, if they subscribe, as I mentioned, they can get my free Centering Prayer ebook. And then if they're further interested in Centering Prayer, they can check out my book, which is on my website. If they want to invite me to their group, their community to speak, I have a speaking page. If, If they're interested in some type of coaching, I have a coaching page. And then if they want to follow me on social media, the icons are right on my website. So they can, if they want to follow me, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn, they can click on the appropriate icon and they'll find what I'm saying out on those different platforms. 
Great. And we'll, again, we'll put links to all that too. So you kind of like a one-stop shop in the show notes, right? Great. So uh, I really appreciate all the insight and perspective that you've given on centering prayer and making it a little bit less, you've demystified it, I think, and really talked about it in a very practical and doable way. And I hope it, it really intrigues people to move forward because I think this is such a powerful practice. I'm actually trying to use it with groups too, especially groups, whether they be nurses or moms or social justice advocates or people who are trying to either helping professions or people who are trying to create community transformation because I think those individuals and groups need that spiritual and soul nourishment I like to close with some rapid fire questions to kind of just give a a little bit more of a sense of who you are. So are you ready for that? Sure. Sure. Awesome. So what's something that people get wrong about you? I think I can come across as very serious or dry sense of humor. So I think people might take me the wrong way. So I, I think they'll just think I'm more serious than I am. I do like to joke around and it's okay to have a sense of humor and it's okay to joke around with me. But I think sometimes maybe my first impression, sometimes people get it of me could be that I'm maybe a little bit too serious (laughs) and I'm not as serious as I come across. So I have to, I got to work on that. I think I got to, I think I'm getting much better at it, but I think I can come across as very too serious. (laughs) Good to know. Where do you see the divine as most alive for you in this season? You know, it's, I would say it worked. Just as I mentioned earlier, I added a, a you know, I, my first sit I do is first thing in the morning, and, I, and then I used to just do a second sit right before lunch. But work's been very busy and chaotic, so I've added a third sit. So I would say at work, we're, and, and the reason I say that is God has said to me, if you if you want to get through this time, Rich, you need to take a third sit. So I think God has, I mean, God's everywhere, but I think God right now is telling me, I'm here to help you, so add a third sit. And I did that about two to three weeks ago, and right mm-hmm. now God's telling me still continue to do it. So I would say God, God's alive everywhere, but God really was jumping and screaming at me to say, you need a third sit, start doing it so you can get through all the work you need to get done. <laughs> hmm. He's, I mean, he's really just saying, you know, trust me, I got you. If you don't take this third sit, I'm not going to be angry with you, but maybe you won't be as productive and maybe your days won't be as easy as, as they should be. And just trust me. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. And receive the help that's that, right. Right. that God is offering and inviting you to have. I'm not good at that either. What's one thing in your life that might seem ordinary to other people but is sacred to you? Coffee with my wife. I, I, I like. I'm a French press person, I, so I buy good coffee, and I, gr- I have a grinder here that I grind it. But just my coffee time with my wife. Like I make it first thing in the morning, and I give her a cup of coffee. And then when the day ends, it could be five o'clock or six p.m. And she also works from home. I make a cup of coffee, and we sit together and we talk, and maybe watch a thirty-minute show. And then we actually have another cup of coffee later on in the day as we're watching our favorite Netflix as well. So coffee with my wife has really become a, a nice sacred time two to three times a day. Mm. I think coffee and tea are definitely spiritual practices for a right. lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> what are you deeply grateful for right now? 
Yeah, I'm grateful that um, the last two years with, with COVID, you know, I remember when I, I left the office, they said, you go home and you'll be working from home for two weeks. Well, that two weeks has turned into two years and it's turned into, you're not coming back to an office. You don't need to. Mm-hmm. So I'm not grateful for COVID, but I'm grateful that I can work from home because I, I get to have coffee with my wife. I, I get to see my two children. I get to take my my 14-year-old to school. I get to be here when when he comes home. So I get to see the family a lot more than I did because before I, I got up at six and left the house at seven and then wasn't back till six or seven o'clock at night. So I'm really grateful that I'm home and I'm seeing everybody a whole lot more in my family. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you have a much more integrated life in so right. many ways. Agree, agree. You've recommended a lot of books and resources, but is there something that you hold really near and dear to your heart that you would recommend as if to recommend a book to a friend? Well, I guess I was thinking Centering Prayer. I mean, I really enjoyed Open Mind, Open Heart by Thomas Keating, and I read it multiple times. So for someone that's interested in trying contemplative prayer or learning more about it, it's 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 a good book because it teaches you how to do it. And there's a lot of Q&A in the book where I guess he's met with a lot of people. So there'll be a question that he gets asked, and then he'll have an answer to it. So I just thought it was a great book to learn Centering Prayer, but also to hear groups people's questions from groups and then to hear his answer. So I would recommend that book by Mm -hmm. Thomas Keating, Open Mind, Open Heart. Where was he based out of? Do you know? He passed away. I guess he was, he he was, um, I guess in Colorado, I'm forgetting the the name of the monastery where he was. He passed away actually in, in, they moved him to a different monastery in on the east because they didn't want him on the west coast as he went into hospice. But he was it was in Snowmass, Colorado. Mm-hmm. I forget the, the name of where he lived. No, that's okay. And Thomas Merton is from the this part of the country, though, right? I think so. And I think I don't know if it's Kentucky or something. Where yeah, he I think lived. he was at a lived. monastery in Kentucky. That's I think. Yeah, I think it was in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I always love to remind people who may not know that. Well, awesome. So really, really appreciate this conversation. I think it was enlightening. I've dabbled with centering prayer and other contemplative prayer practices, but you've given me a lot to think about. And I, I too, encourage people to try it out and to stick with it. And I think it's just a really incredible practice. Agree. It's it's been terrific for me. I'm glad I found it. I wish I found it sooner than then, but maybe I wasn't ready for it till then anyhow. So I, I guess I found it exactly when God wanted me to find it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you for being with us and really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me on. Hopefully this was helpful for your community. Thank you for listening to Everything is Spiritual and taking time to nourish your soul. Tune in each week for a little community and a lot of conversation. Or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. For more resources around spiritual exploration, restoration, and transformation, be sure to sign up on our mailing list at experiencesoulcare.com. Visit our website for information on retreats, workshops, and services from our partners. Or better yet, come visit our welcoming space in Urbana to say hi and get a steaming cup of tea. Soul Care Urban Retreat Center is a warm, welcoming, and accessible place for you to refresh, renew, and restore your mind, body, heart, and soul. We set a great big table, and everyone is welcome. 
Until next week, be well.